0: Well, uh, I think Mark was the one who asked me, Mark, who was the uh, country-western singer who used that title for a song? Hank Williams. Hank, he asked, am I going to start it out with, with Hank Williams singing? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe 10 years ago, I would have had the hoots to do that. but <laughs> As you get older, I get more conservative. But I will start with this, the story of a, uh, of a music director who was uh, passing by a visiting elementary school one morning, and he overheard an eight-year-old leading the class in prayer. He was so touched by what the prayer was that he wrote it down. The lad said, quote, God bless our mothers, God bless our fathers, and our teachers, and our brothers, and our sisters, And please, God, take care of yourself. God, if anything happens to you, we're sunk. (laughs) I think that's a worthy prayer. Sermons come in many ways. How did I come to this, your cheating heart? Well, Gene and I were having a conversation because we had just watched a news broadcast about how people are concerned that there's going to be cheating going on in the elections. P.S., There's nothing new about that. It's been going on since we've been doing elections, but sometimes it gets exacerbated. It gets worse than it is. And then we've been discussing the fact that cheating, if it goes on, doesn't only go on in elections, amen? Cheating goes on in every aspect of people's life. You know, there are people who cheat on their taxes, and people who cheat on their taxes think everybody cheats on their taxes. Think about it. There are people who cheat at board games, at card games, sports, when I was in business, and I probably interviewed literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of people over my 30 years, I found a lot of people cheated on their resumes. And Well, you know, a resume's supposed to be, quote, unquote, a brag bag, but they didn't have to brag that much. I mean, they really went at it. <laughs> Webster's definition is, cheating is dealing dishonestly or deceptively with someone to obtain some advantage or gain. The synonyms are swindled, tricked, duped, victimized, hoax, fraud. And we know that when you pick up the telephone, you better be very, very wary of who may be on the other end, amen? Because you may be getting one of those phone calls where they're ready to, and some people in our congregation over the years have gotten swindled over the telephone. You may know some. We often say that the Bible speaks of just about every aspect of life, the good, the bad, the ugly. And you'll see, I'm going to share an account with you in Scripture that goes into the dastardly deed of cheating. I give you a little background that goes back over 4,000 years. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun you better believe that. Human nature really hasn't changed for thousands of years. Here's a perfect example. It goes back 4,000 years. You can find the account from Genesis 25 to Genesis 28. And the account in those three chapters talk about twins born to Israel's patriarch, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. The first born twin, Esau, was followed by the second, Jacob. Esau became a skilled hunter while Jacob kind of stayed close to home. Tension reeled its, uh, its ugly head primarily because this is a bad thing for parents to do and this, these did it. The father, Isaac, loved and favored his son Esau while mom loved and cherished and favored Jacob. You think that's a good deal in the home? Forget about it, it's not a good deal. Esau had the reputation of being very impetuous. His impetuous nature was borne out when he came home one day from hunting, and he was starving. And there was his brother by the kitchen table, and he was making a beef stew, probably deer. He was making some kind of a stew, and the brother said, Give me some of that. I want a portion of that. And uh, Jacob, realizing how this brother was, and how once he got his mind set on something, he said, sure, I'll be happy to give it, but I want something in exchange. And what I like in exchange is you give me your inheritance. Now, the guy is only thinking about feeding himself right here and right now. And he's not think- thinking about tomorrow. How many of us are like that? We're living in the right now, we're only thinking about what's happening at this moment, and we might too trade something away for a bowl of soup if we really wanted it, that's what was happening. Giving away a bowl of soup for your inheritance was a disaster, because traditionally, the inheritance went to the elders. In trading away, Esau turned leadership of the clan over to his brother Jacob. He was losing a lot, not just possessions, he was u- losing leadership of the clan of, of his father. Here's where the cheating comes in. Father Isaac has reached the age of 137 as your goal, Mom. <laughs> and blind, assuming he would die soon, Isaac instructed Esau to prepare a meal for him so he could use that occasion to give Esau his blessing. Dad wanted to bless his son. But Rebekah got wind of Isaac's plan and arranged for Jacob to disguise himself as Esau so that he would receive the blessing and we pick up the account. Now remember, the oldest was supposed to get it, but in this case, it wasn't going to happen. If you turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 27 up there on PowerPoint, we'll read the rest of the story. Genesis 27, let's stand together. Daddy's blind. The hairy brother, the brother without hair, has got hair on his arm now because his mother's glued something there. And verse 24, and he said, "Art thou, I'm sorry, now therefore, my son, obey my voice, verse eight, according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, And I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loves. This is mom speaking. Verse 10. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, and he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Hang on, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, "'Upon me be thy curse, my son. "'Only obey my voice and go and fetch them.'" Very tough mother. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made a savory meat such as the father loved. Rebecca took goodly, nice, clean, good clothes, goodly raiment to her eldest son Esau, which were with her in her house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son, deception, and she put the skins of the kids and the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which he had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. Jacob said, I have done according to thou, what thou badest me. Arise, I pray, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may be blessed. And bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. It's not just cheating, it's lying too, right? They kind of go hand in hand. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come near, I pray, thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy and his brother Esau's hands as his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him. And he said, uh, "And he said, art thou my very son Esau? And he lied again and said, I am. Thank you. you, may be seated. So the deception worked. Esau was cheated out of his birthright and his blessing. Now there's also a lot about this story I didn't share with you. There's God's side of the story. So if you wanna hear the rest of the story, we're gonna be doing it when we get to that, those chapters in Genesis at Bible study. It should also be noticed that God never whitewashes the flaws of the people in this book. If you were gonna write a religious book, if you were gonna write a holy book, wouldn't you have your people who you wrote about all be kind of saintly, really nice and squeaky clean? God didn't do that. You know why? Because there ain't nobody like that. And God's working with what he's got. You and me. We're not like that. We can pretend to be perfect. We can pretend to be good. We can pretend to be all those things. But in our hearts, the Bible says, as we'll see, we got stuff going on. So God shows every one of his people, whether it's Moses, whether it's Jacob, whether whoever it is, he shows the flaws, and those flaws are designed to encourage us. If God could use people with this character, He can use you. He can use me, and he wants to. He uses these familiar characters in Scripture as a mirror for you to look at as a race of humans and ourselves as an individual. There's something for us to learn in every one of these people. Many accounts in the Bible cause us to look to our heart, into our heart to find the motivation for why we do what we do. When we refer to the heart in this context, we're not speaking to the amazing pump that pushes blood throughout our system. We're not talking about that. The heart is this, rather. It's representative of the whole personality, including intellectual, as well as emotional functions and traits. It's the who you are inside. It's where everything starts. Everything starts in here. Everything starts in here. Your sin gets entertained up here. You operate on that basis. So God's looking on the inside. He's looking on the motivation. He's looking on the attitudes. He's looking at the way we are when other other people can't see and only he can see. The Bible said God looks on the inside. Everybody else looks out. They're looking to see if your face is smiley or frowny. If you're well-dressed or not well-dressed, they're looking for whatever they can see, but God's looking at the real you. As we study the word heart in the Bible, it reveals many truths. I just pulled out these five. Number one, the heart is the seat of all actions. Matthew 17, verse 35. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. We've been given the freedom to choose, to do the things that are right or to choose the things that are wrong. Evil, some people think you got to be a mass murderer to qualify for that. No, you just have to be off the mark and be sinning. That's evil in God's sight. And God looks at us and sees us in that regard, but He had to give us the freedom to choose to do right or wrong. And how many times do we choose the freedom to do good? We have the capacity for both. Recognize that we have the capacity to be both. But our ancestral parents chose to do wrong and give evil a chance. Albert Einstein, interestingly enough, you know we can get truth out of the mouth, out of anybody's mouth, right? True words can be spoken through false teeth. But listen to what Albert Einstein said. The real real problem is in the heart and mind of men. It's not a problem of physics, but of ethics. It's easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil from the spirit of man. It's in here, the choice to do evil or to do good, the choice to react. You know, uh, I had a temper when I was younger. And, I mean, I did things with my wife in the car when we would be driving along and somebody would cut me off. I mean, they knew I was upset. (laughs) Road rage, they call it now. I call it young age. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Don't you look at the activities going on on your TV, on the news, and say, how could this be happening? What's going on here? Why is, why is some woman walking in the train station and some guy jumping up from behind, throwing her up against the wall and beating her half to death? Why is some guy walking along a train platform and somebody pushes him over the side? Why are these things happening? And the answer is, look on the inside. There's evil in those hearts. They can't tell the difference between right and wrong because they've sold themselves out Secondly, the heart is the seat of our fears. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to them that are fearful of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God, with a recompense. He will come and save you. God is making a promise here to Israel that carries over to you. He promised that they shouldn't fear their enemies. You shouldn't fear yours. What kind of enemies do we have? They're more internal. We have fear. That's an enemy. We have loneliness. That's an enemy. Our own sin is our enemy. Anger and resentment. These things are enemies. And God's made a promise that he will save you from these things. With God to guard us, every evil that comes to us on wings goes away limping. They come to us and attempt to destroy us, but they're virtually impotent to destroy us. They can depress us. They can distress us. They can make us upset. They can make us want to throw in the towel. You may feel like that today. You might feel that you just want to give it all up, that you just don't have another ounce of strength to go and do. But God's gonna give you the extra ounce you need. You have enough of whatever you need to get through today. I used to tell that to the patients at Hagadorn every single time. You have enough of whatever God needs you to have to get through today. You have that too. He's not gonna let go of you. Third, the heart is the seat of hatred. Leviticus 19.17, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, Someone said, hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is stored, that's you or me, as well as destroy the object on which it is stored. So when we think that hate only goes one way, that we're, ex- we're giving out hatred or anger towards somebody, do you know it's coming back at you? You know it's splattering, if you, had a, if you had liquid and you threw a glass of liquid on somebody, chances are it's gonna splatter right back on you. When you throw out the vengeance and the, ve- and the, and the, and the, and the venom of anger at somebody or hatred at somebody, it's gonna come back at you. You're not gonna be the same jovial person you used to be when you've got anger and hatred in your heart. Have you tried it? Don't you notice how you don't feel the same? Don't you notice that once you get rid of that anger and that hatred, you feel so much better? Don't you know that you can be a a victim of that stuff and are? And once you get rid of it, once you give it to the Lord, once it's out of your heart and mind, you feel totally better. I I mean, I, I counsel people. And I know that people who come to me with anger issues and are able to work it out with the Lord and the people that they're angry with, they feel so much better once they've done it. You'll feel so much better if you've got that situation going on. Again, every evil that comes to you on wings will go away limping. Number three. Oh, I already said that, didn't I? Hate is like the acid. I already said that. The cross of Christ is God's final answer to the problem of hatred and every sin. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. We celebrated that this morning. We celebrated Christ's death on Calvary, and when Christ died on Calvary, he, he died to take away your sin. He died to remove your sin from you. The heart is the seed of joy, number four. And joy is an attitude of your heart. Acts two, twenty six, therefore did the heart did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Francis of Assisi said this, where there is poverty and joy, there is neither greed nor avarice. Because if you're content in your situation, what have you got to be jealous of? When you're happy with your life, what have you got to be jealous of? Why would you feel you have to steal from somebody if you've got everything you need? Joy is your choice. But here's the truth. joy is Rare. Joy is hard to come by. It can be difficult, and it is more beautiful than sadness. Don't lose your joy. Jesus promised this in 1 Peter 1.8. I promise you, joy unspeakable and full of glory. So my question to you this morning, in part, is do you feel a lack of joy in your life? Do you feel that you've come to a point in your life where you don't have any more joy? So don't stop expecting joy because it's in you. And it's a joy that is so amazing, God said you can't understand it and you can hardly talk about it. But he's promised to fill those empty places with his joy. So keep expecting joy, keep praying for joy, and keep claiming joy because it's a promise God has given you. And don't give up on God's promises because when you give up on God's promises, you're giving up on God. Don't give up. No joy right now. Keep expecting that God's going to deliver. deliver. Hang in there. I can't tell you how many people we've prayed for who thought they should stop praying because their prayers weren't going to be answered the way they wanted. But then some of them have come back to me and said, my prayers got answered. And I'm so happy. say, but pastor, you don't know my circumstance, and it's very hard to be joyful under this circumstance. No, I don't, but regardless of your crushing circumstance, don't give up now. It's not time to give up now. Number five, the heart is the seed of true love. Mark 12, 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment to love God and be loved by him. Evangelist C.H. Spurgeon, one of the great evangelists of, of the previous century, says, go measure the heavens with our span. Go weigh the mountains in the scales. Go take the ocean's water and calculate each drop. Go count the sand upon the sea's wide shore. And when you've accomplished all of this, when you've done all that counting, all that adding, all that multiplying, all that measuring, then you can tell how much God loves you. He has loved you long, he has loved you well, and he will love you forever. Pastor, you don't know how many mistakes I've made, you don't know all the things I've done wrong. I don't, I don't want to know, but God knows. You can't hide it from him or keep it from him, and guess what? Despite of whatever it is you've done, despite however much you feel, that you're far away from him, he will take you back and love you. He will never stop loving you. Never, ever, ever. You believe that? Remembering the heart is defined in the Bible as the whole personality, intellect, and emotion. Proverbs 6 commands... uh, Proverbs reveals six commands concerning the heart that we should all be all in on. Now, Proverbs really probably has around 20 of them, but I pulled out these six. Number one, Proverbs 2.10. Apply your heart wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Wisdom comes from the book. Things go together. You get knowledge from the book. From that knowledge, you get wisdom, which is how to apply God's truths to your life. And then you get the understanding of who God is. Those three things go together when you study God's word. And God says, take the wisdom of his word and apply it to your life. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Apply God's wisdom to your life. That's the only way it's gonna matter. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means trust him explicitly, even when your eyes are lying to you. That's the great politician game these days. Don't believe your lying eyes. But God said, believe me, when everything else around you is failing. Third, Proverbs 7.25, don't let your heart lead you to sin. The love of the the world and the flesh and the greed of the eyes, all of these things can take us in. If your heart's taking you, if you're taking yourself down the wrong way, don't let it happen. Go back. Number four, Proverbs 15.13, have a happy heart. If you're happy in here, if there's joy in here, it'll be reflected on your attitude, it'll be reflected on your face, it'll be reflected in how you think. The Bible says that a merry heart brings great joy. When's the last time you laughed? Except when I told that corny joke at the beginning. But laughter is a great part of, 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 of your life and God wants you to have laughter in your life. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight number five, study God's word with your whole heart. Don't just read. Bible uses the wonderful word meditate. Dwell on it. Think about it. Ask God what it means. Memorize scripture. I'm so proud of my granddaughters who are memorizing scripture by the volume. Praise God, right? Number six, Proverbs twenty three twelve. Apply God's word to your life with your whole heart. Not just the wisdom of the word, the promises of the word, and the warnings of the word. Because God is not going to blindside you when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. God tells you when you're doing wrong. Holy Spirit convicts you. And when you know you're doing wrong, it's time to do something about that. When you know you no longer have the joy, when you know you no longer have the excitement, when you know you no longer have the interest, when you look at everything and all you see is the negatives and you don't see anything positive, you know you're on the wrong track. They say, American, 75% of Americans say we're on the wrong track, and they're talking about the economy and they're talking about all those things. Let me tell you something, that may be the same number of people who are on the wrong track spiritually. And what's worse, be on the wrong track economically, on the wrong wrong track by the decisions that are being made in Washington, or on the wrong track because you're going down the wrong track with God. I think that's worse. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to the Lord. Where are you on on the road today? Where's your heart? Where is it leading you? How do you feel? There are so many ways we can go wrong and in turn miss out on all that God has for us. If we're not all in for Jesus, the natural tendency is for the heart to grow cold and hardened. That's my concern for people who who can make it to church but don't. That's my concern for people who would rather be home when they can get here. Because this is a place where we warm up hearts. This is a place where we give a hug to one another, not just... Not just physically, but spiritually. And when people decide to stay away, it gets harder to come back, much harder. You know, when you fall, I learned when I started riding a horse, the first principle is, when you fall off the horse, get back on right away. Otherwise, you'll never go. I'm I'm praying I learned a good good lesson about knee transplants. Get them both done at the same time. And uh, not just one at a time. you'll I met a guy yesterday. He said, oh, yeah, I got my knee transplant 10 years ago. Now I'm going for a second. Ooh, <laughs> that couldn't be me. So we'll see what happens. When you feel cold and you feel cold-hearted and you feel like you've grown cold toward the Lord, it's then that you and I need a heart transplant. Here's what the great heart surgeon promises. Ezekiel 36, 26, and most of you know it. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit, there's that phrase born again, will I put within you. I will take away the stony, that cold heart, out of your flesh and give you a heart, out of your heart and give you a heart of flesh. No longer a cold heart, no longer a stubborn heart, but a tender, responsive heart, and when you have that you will step out of your comfort zone to tell others what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since when this morning's the morning if you've locked jesus out of your heart say but i believe in jesus i believe in the gospel i ask jesus into my heart but what have you done with it where's the change what a wonderful change in my heart has been done where's the change have you changed Have I changed? I don't want to change for the worse. I want to change for the better. It it gets harder as you get older. But I encourage all of us to look into our heart this morning as we examined our heart when we took the bread and the cup. Let's go to prayer. This morning, Father, help us to look in our heart and see if there be any wrong way in us. Give us the help we need to go into our faith wholeheartedly and to apply our heart and to trust you and don't let our heart lead us astray and to have a happiness and a lightness about you, to study your word with a whole heart and then to apply all of these things we've learned over the years into our life wholeheartedly. With your heads bowed and your hearts tuned in right now, do you need prayer this morning in response to this message? Just to have some, just to affirm that the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Would you please raise your hand? May I see your hand this morning? The Lord has spoken to you this morning, however it was. Yeah. Whatever you need was, has He spoken to you this morning. Father, I thank you for all these folks who have been touched by your word. Not by the words of the speaker, but the words of Scripture. Not that we would be persuasive, but that your word would be persuasive. Not that we would be standing in the wings like Pilate said, I'm almost persuaded. We're not almost persuaded this morning, Lord. We're convicted and convinced that there is a better way for us to go. And that's not only to let Jesus in our heart, but to let Jesus at the the controls of our life. That we do that this morning with a whole heart. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, I pray a blessing upon them. I pray an anointing upon them, Lord. I pray that the day would be a different day going out of here than when they walked in here. I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would be exhilarated, that they would be lifted up, that they would be on fire for Jesus, that they would tell people about Jesus in their family and in their neighborhood and reach out to Christ because let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And if it was ever a day that the redeemed had to say so, this is it. So, Father, light the fires of revival in one heart at a time. Pray it all in his name. Amen.